Good morning. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. We're glad that you are here. It is a beautiful day outside. Why is it beautiful? Because it is raining. It's been raining steadily for the last several hours. Why is that good? Because it is filling up our catch basin at the mikveh. And uh, that's always good because we use the catch basin water to top off the mikveh. You know, I, I'm still amazed at the reality that our mikveh has, it ha, was built, unbeknownst to us, on top of a natural spring. Um, by the way, before I get on with that, welcome everybody. So many people are watching from all across the Fruited Plain, uh, all across the world. In fact, we're glad you're here. I'm excited for you to be here. Thank you for joining this morning on a special edition of our Aliyah Day called Shavuot, Insights to the Yom Tov. This is the second episode. Anyway, when you're in the mikveh, <clears throat> when, when one of these days, hopefully um, all of you who are faithful and committed members to Lapid Judaism who've gone through conversion and you want to use the mikveh thereafter, uh, when you're in the mikveh, there is a uh, part of it, the part of the floor, which is acrylic. It looks like glass. It's see-through. There's a Magan David etched into it. It's beautiful. And you can see down into the lower cistern, which is about another, oh, I don't know, four or five feet down. I'm not exactly sure what the precise depth is, but it's down there. You can see it. It's really cool. But if you look down there uh, through, the, through the, 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 the glass or the acrylic, um, you'll notice that it seems that there's kind of like a sand, like sandy, kind of has like a sandy bottom. And... Uh, at first, when I was looking at that, I, I'm just one of those kind of people that likes to have everything pristine, um, you know, uh, everything completely cleaned and perfect. And at first, I was like, um, "Hey, you know, we need to we need to water vac that out and get that that sand out of there." Um, but then I thought about it later, and I talked it over with a couple of the guys, and we're like, "No, it. What that means is, even though it's capped off at the bottom, we can unscrew the cap and allow the." the spring water to flow into the mikvah, um, dive down there and do that. Um, but even though it's capped off, somehow sandy particles are still kind of bubbling up, if you will, uh, from the bottom. And so it's making that kind of sandy in there. Not real bad, but just, a, just enough. Um, so it's kind of cool when you look down in there, you see like kind of a sandy bottom of the cistern which just means that the spring is still flowing. It's really, after I got to thinking about that, well, that's, that's kind of a cool feature. So everybody said, no, leave it, leave it. Because when you're, when you're in the mikvah and you're, you look down there and you can see you know, the side of the, of the plaster, but then you see the sand, uh, it just, it's just a reminder that, that that's an actual uh, spring that you're standing in. So, um, and then, of course, if, if it, when the water kind of tends to evaporate a little bit, which is obviously happens uh we just uh shlomo gets into the catch basin and uh unscrews the caps and the and the, the rainwater gravity feeds into the mikvah to kind of lift it up so if we don't have you know we just augment it with rainwater anyway it's just i'm kind of you know it's like having a new baby you know you have a new baby and and and, and people like like at the office and stuff are kind of get sick of you talking about your baby all the time uh, for the first, I don't know, five years. And so uh, that's that's what's going on with the mikvah. It's like everything is about the mikvah right now. It's awesome. And so it's good. I'm glad you're here. So welcome. Baruch Hashem. It's amazing. Um, what else? Oh, uh, the, we have the all-night Torah study coming up. 
The All Night Torah Study is coming up, and it's going to be broadcast live uh, via live stream. So the way that you access live stream, for those of you who don't know, um, you just get online and you go to mysarshalom.com and uh, go to the media link, and you can access the live stream that way. And we're going to do Bezrat Hashem just like we did last year. We're just going to video the whole thing live, so you can watch us when we're reading and studying, and and you can watch us when we take breaks and get cups of coffee, and uh, it'll be like you're right there in the room with us. So it's amazing. Uh, Baruch Hashem. Happy Memorial Day to everybody. Um, thank God for all. Memorial Day in the, in the United States, because there's a lot of people here who watch that are not from Los Estados Unidos. Uh, this is a day in the United States in which we commemorate our heroes, our veterans who have fallen in battle. It's not Veterans Day, and sometimes people get that confused. Uh, there was a couple of posts where I saw where people thank those who served, um, and I appreciate that, but that actually happens in November. November 11th is Veterans Day. Today is Memorial Day, where we, we uh, celebrate um, those, or celebrate or I should say honor, <clears throat> those who've given their life uh, in battle. In, a, in various wars um, for our freedom, and so we want to acknowledge uh, all all of those um, those souls who paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could continue to be free in the United States, and not just us, because as many of you know, uh, the United States was involved in two world wars, uh, and in both cases, we uh, contributed uh, greatly to keeping uh, Europe free and Asia free, uh, and so on. So, uh, Baruch Hashem, that's wonderful. So, happy uh, Memorial Day. Hope everybody's enjoying it, um, and so on and so forth. So, that's great. There was a question before I get started with the reading. There was a question from Marcel, I believe it was, about um, our thoughts on Kabbalah. I said I would just address that briefly. Um, Basically, Kabbalah in Judaism is not much more than the, the sowed level of Torah study. It's the mystical level of Torah study. It's referred to as Kabbalistic thought. The Zohar, for instance, is um, what's commonly referred to as the Kabbalah, um, but uh, by people uh, outside of Judaism, really. Um, but in actuality, inside Judaism, is just simply the Zohar. It's the mystical teachings. Do we accept it? Do we embrace it? Yes, absolutely. There is another type of Kabbalah, which is usually what people are familiar with, because they this is what they see on um, on uh, the internet and Hollywood, and that's the kind of weird, esoteric, um, seance kind of yoga type um, meditation and kind of weird googly gook. That's not really legit okay that's like some something else okay so we're not into all that we don't chant and meditate and elevate and levitate and all that kind of stuff kabbalah is simply the mystical level um, if you are new to torah if this is your um if you're inside your first decade um then you need to not worry about it you need to just study torah and you need to study torah principles and musar what's called musar the ethical teachings of learning how to be a minch, learning how to be a good human being. Uh, again, if you're inside your first decade of Torah, uh, the word Kabbalah needs to uh, be removed from your entire being. Um, it'll get you into a lot of trouble. Uh, not because it's evil, 
but because you're not you're not ready for it. Um, you need to stick with the basics. It would be like um, somebody who's never paid, played football ever in their life, but they really want to play, and they've seen it on TV, and so they want to be involved, and I throw them into a game and make them play uh, in a Pittsburgh Steelers versus Dallas Cowboy game. Um, you're going to get killed. Okay, you're, You'll die. That's not fair. So um, we need to first start out in Little League, you know, and little peewee football, little flag football, and then eventually you'll be able to play – with the Cowboys, um, but right now you're in Pee Wee. Okay, you're learning that this is a football, uh, so that's where you're at. So I just want to tell you that uh, Judaism puts it this way: if you're under the age of 40 and you're not married and you're not and you don't have a hundred percent full grasp on Torah, then you don't need to be studying Kabbalah. So there's that. Having said that, I will be sharing, um, as I often do, thoughts from the Zohar, Kabbalistic thoughts, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sharing those with you. Because at the risk of sounding arrogant, I don't know, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I'm experienced in, in knowing what to share with you and how to share it, and uh, I make those decisions about what I share and how I share it um, because I'm experienced in that. Um, but it's not for you to run out and buy a Zohar set, okay? That's what I'm trying to say. Hopefully that helps. All right. If you have your art school chumish, Turn to page 1023. 1023. We're going to read a short excerpt here from um, the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16, and verses 9 through 9 through 12. Just a little excerpt about Shavuot because we're going to be studying some insights into Shavuot. And here we go. You should count seven weeks for yourself. From when the sickle is first put to the standing crop, shall you begin counting seven weeks. Then you shall observe the festival of Shavuot for Adonai your God. The voluntary offerings that you give should be commensurate with how much Adonai your God will have blessed you. You shall rejoice before Adonai your God, you, your sons, your daughter, your slave, your maidservant, the Levite who is in your cities, the proselyte, the orphan, the widow who are among you in the place that Adonai your God will choose to rest his name. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall observe and perform these decrees. Again, just wanted to share that because it's about Shavuot. Um, it's interesting that Hashem says, remember you were, a, you were a slave in Egypt, and therefore you should observe the decrees. Um, the point is obvious, I think, but just to reiterate it, you know, God is saying, look, you know, I brought you out of Egypt. In fact, he says this in Exodus chapter 19, which is, which is the, re the, the reading for the, for the day of Shavuot. I brought you out of Egypt as like on the wings of eagles. You were a slave. You were there all bound up. You weren't able to free yourself. I set, I set you free. And therefore, I, as I said yesterday, I set you free for the express purpose of coming to Mount Sinai and receiving the Torah. Uh, as I said yesterday, um, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which is what Shavuot uh, um, celebrates, is the, say the, it is the purpose for Passover. It's very important. People don't understand usually that Shavuot is, yes, a separate holiday, and it is the conclusion, it is the end to the holiday of Passover. Passover and Shavuot are, are connected. They're connected how? By the counting of the Omer. 
So you say, well, we had Passover in the spring and that was a lot of fun and now we're having Shavuot. But in reality, what we're having is the conclusion of Passover. Why is it the conclusion of the Passover? Because it's the thing, the giving of the Torah, is the thing to which Passover points. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds very, very familiar. You know, it's translated sometimes that Messiah is the end of the law. But in reality, that should be translated properly. He's the thing, if I can use that word, to which the law points. By the way, in, in Hebrew, the word for thing is devar, which happens to be the word for word. So he's the word to which the word points. He's the thing to which the word of God points. So when we're at Shavuot, or excuse me, yeah, we're at Shavuot. Shavuot is the devar, the word to which Pesach points. So the whole point, no pun intended, of Passover is to point us to Shavuot, to bring us there, to bring us here, so that we can embrace the word of Hashem. That point is crucial. I read a comment that was to an, uh, one of our teachings on the Lapid channel. Some Christian person put a comment on there, and, and it was long. And one of the things they said was that, um, uh, I forget how they phrased it exactly, it was something to the effect of um, uh, God appreciates his law. Um, well, how was it said? Let me see here. Ah, the law is pleasing to God. But he is looking for a heart change more than works of legalism. Um, there is a thousand things that are wrong with that statement. But um, let's begin with the, the idea that the law is pleasing to God. My reply to that is the law is God. So it's not just that the law is pleasing to God. The law is God. And the Messiah is the law. So what I my my simple reply to that statement, which was like three paragraphs long here that he said, um, pretty much uh, that ends the discussion, because if the law is God, and it is, and if the Mashiach is the law, then pretty much that sums up everything, right? So when we come to Mashiach and we embrace Mashiach, we we also embrace the law of God. We have to. It's an impossibility not to. You say, well, I embrace the Messiah, but I don't really embrace the law of Moses. It's an impossibility, and you haven't embraced the Messiah. If you have embraced the Messiah, but you haven't embraced the law of Moses, then you haven't embraced the Messiah. Because the Messiah is the law of Moses. So, another insight here from uh, the Art School Mazora series, just talking about the the Jew what is Jewish identity, the shield of Abraham, it says, Chidush Sheharim comments that Magen Avraham, the shield of Abraham, which conclu concludes the first blessing of the Shemona Yisrael, that is the Amidah, alludes to the spark of Abraham's faith within every Jew, which does not become extinguished. The legacy, that legacy anyway, is the shield that maintains Jewish identity. So I wanted to share that just because I like to always point out that our identity as Jews ultimately goes back to Abraham. That is a critical, critical, critical concept because most people think that Abraham wasn't a Jew, that Jews started with the tribe of Judah, but that is not at all true ever. Or, to make a pun, ever. Get it? Ever? Anyway. Uh, so, 
Um, Ahmet and Maz will appreciate that because they're very, very punny people. So anyway, um, our identity goes back to Avraham. He is our shield. So the faith that Avraham had is our shield. Now, most people have been taught that the faith of of Abraham is just that. It's just faith. You know, he Abraham believed God. It was credited to him the righteous. And, and everybody thinks that they're, all I have to do in order to have the faith of Abraham is simply to believe. But even the Mashiach said um, that the demons believe and shudder. So obviously faith alone is not at, at, at all going to work for you because the demons have faith. In fact, it was remember it was the demons who cried out to Mashiach and said, called him the son of man. Before anybody else really knew he was a son of man, the demons were calling him the son of man. Everybody else was trying to figure out, is, is this the Mashiach? Which son of man is a euphemism for the Mashiach. It's quite the reverse. Son of God means he's the king of Israel. Son of man means he's the Mashiach. I know you didn't know that, but now you do. So everybody's trying to figure out, is this the son of man or not? I don't know. Is he? Could he be? I don't know. Let's think about it. And the demons say, hello, son of man. Have you come to torment us before our time? So the demons have more faith than you do. But So therefore, what is the faith of Abraham? The faith of Abraham is Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 5, which, mean, which says, uh, Abraham believed me, God said, and he followed my entire Torah. And, he, and the word for Torah is plural. Torahs, like both oral and written. And he details that. He followed my commandments. He followed my statutes. He followed my judgments. He even followed my, uh, my, my laws that make, seemingly make no sense. That's the faith of Abraham. In other, in other words, the faith of Abraham was doing. That's the shield that shields us. Everybody, anybody ever heard of angel food cake? What do angels eat? Anybody ever thought about that? When God sends angels to earth to do his work, what, what kind of lunch do they pack? What does their lunchbox look like? Anybody remember the old lunchboxes? You know, I'm a little older than most, but I think they still have these kind of things today. But anyway, back in the day, um, we used to have the metal lunchboxes, and uh, that was like a big deal. Like your lunchbox, that meant everything. And it was, you know, they were stamped with and, and painted whatever, you know, there was... Star Wars and Superman and Batman and I just love those. You know, Ahmet, I just remembered Ahmet has a lunchbox of uh, of uh, Iron Man. I want a lunchbox of Captain America. I, now I got to have one. I, I, I brought this up with uh, my family the other day. We were talking about lunchboxes. Um, and here I just went on a rabbit trail about lunchboxes and angel food. But anyway, I'm going to look for a lunchbox for Captain America. Got to have it. Got to happen. All right, anyway, what do angels eat? Such holiness and spirituality are the nourishment of the angels, the divine beings whose food is the sustenance of God's spiritual glow. When the angels came to Abraham and the guise of people, he prepared a lavish feast for them, as he always did for his guests, yet the angels sat and ate, but spiritual beings are not nourished by bread and meat. Men shall not live on bread alone, the scripture says, but what? By every word that flows from the mouth of God, right? That comes from the mouth of God. 
And what do angels eat? It says here that angels eat the, the spiritual essence of Hashem. So when Mashiach said, if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. He's not talking about literally, he's talking about the essence of who he is, which is exactly what the angels eat. Of course, it says in rabbinic literature, by the way, that when the elders went up to Mount Sinai with Moses, before, right before the giving of the Torah, the, Moses, the elders went up and it says they saw God and they had a feast. The sages bring down that, what did they eat? They, they didn't bring food with them. So what was it that they ate? <clears throat> it says that they ate, the, uh, they ate, they feasted as it were on the Shekinah of God. Well, if you, if you do a lot of study, looking at Kabbalistic, speaking of Kabbalah earlier, looking at Kabbalistic thought, the Mashiach, Memtet, the Shekinah are all kind of one and the same. Yeah, it gets very deep. Um, so, looking back at some other uh, insights now from Safe Isayimes, we get a chance to come back to Safe Isayimes. He has, as you might expect, a lot of great things to say about Shavuos. And so, um, we are going to uh, look at this. Yes, Rebid Scenes. Hers was a yellow bu bus with cartoon characters looking out the windows. Yes, I remember those. Very sweet. I'm going to get my wife a lunchbox, too. Um, it says here, uh, Shavuot has many names. So in Seyfes, in his introduction, it says, In this essay, we will consider the relationship between Shavuot and the other festivals, suggesting that Shavuot occupies a pivotal place between Pesach and Sukkot. It says, No other festival has as many names as Shavuot. Now, that's intriguing, isn't it? Of all the festivals, no other festival has as many names as Shavuot. It says, apart from the name Shavuot itself, it's called Zeman Matan Torah Tenu, that is the time of the giving of the Torah. It's Azarat, convocation. Zeman Hartenu, that is a time of our freedom. It's Zim Hayom Hazay, that it's called, it's, it's, known as this very day. This very day is a name for Shavuot. Did you know that? It's also called um, Yom HaBikrim, the day of first fruits, and Yom HaKahal, the day of congregational unity. Now, why would this holiday have so many names as opposed to the other holidays? And the answer is because of the giving of the Torah. Because the Torah is Hashem, and Hashem has many names. They're all found in the Torah, okay? So I'm not talking about all roads lead to heaven, so God forbid Hashem's name is not a bunch of pagan deities' names. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, is that God has many names found in the Torah, which is why Shavuot has so many names. Because the Torah is God. It is considered the, the most important festival. The most important festival. Why is it the most important festival? Well, Seifesayimes says, Although all the festivals have great importance in Jewish life, Shavuot occupies a special place in the festival cycle. For one thing, it comes between the two other pilgrim festivals, 
Pesach and Sukkot. In Jewish tradition, he writes, the middle is an especially coveted position. In this sense, Shavuot is compared to Berichach Hatikon, the middle beam that miraculously held up the walls of the Mishkan, much as Shavuot bolsters the period between Pesach and Sukkot. This analogy between Shavuot and the beam that supported the Mishkan can be taken further. The boards that made up each wall of the Mishkan were held up by five beams. Four of them were positioned on the side of the boards, two near the top and two near the bottom, and were held in place by rings. The middle beam ran inside the boards, hidden from sight, but effectively supporting all the others. So too, the two days of Pesach, first and last, and the two days of Sukkot and Shemini at Zeret, at either end of the festival cycle, are supported in the middle by Shavuot. <laughs> wow. So Shavuot is a holiday, among other things, that actually supports all the other holidays. Why? Because it's the Torah. Without the Torah, you have nothing. As I said, you know, without the Torah, you have just an empty box. Talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Without the, without the Torah, you just have a, a, a beautiful, ornate box. But otherwise, it's nothing. It's like somebody who, who brought me to Phelan one time. And he was sold to Phelan, I, I, I'm assuming, by an unscrupulous person. And at some point, sold him to feeling that didn't have any scrolls inside. I was perplexed by this. I'd never heard of such a thing. So I asked my friend in Israel, Avi, uh, from whom we receive all of our tefillin and everything. And I asked him one time, it's been a number of years ago. I said, Avi, you have tefillin, but there's no scrolls inside. And and Avi looked at me perplexed. He had no idea who, who in the world would do that. And he said, he says, if you have tefillin with no scrolls inside, you just have a box. That's what you've got. You've got a leather box. It's not tefillin. It's not tefillin unless there's scrolls inside. So there's no covenant unless there's a scroll inside. There's no relationship unless there's a scroll inside. Otherwise, you just have a box. You say, well, I, I just don't believe in the Torah. It's like, we, all you have is a leather box. But, but if you put the scroll inside, then you have to feel it. Now it's, now it's something unique. Now it's something special. Um, Shavuot is the Shemini Zeret of Passover. Shavuot, according to Seifus Amos, is the Shemini Zeret of Passover. And as a result, there's a special connection between Shemini Zeret and Pesach. He writes... While there are clear links between Shavuot and the other pilgrimage festivals, as we have seen, there is a special relationship between Shavuot and Shemini Zeret, which in Eretz Israel is celebrated together with Simchat Torah. So it says, both occasions celebrate the glory of the Torah, and both are called by the name Atzeret. King, Zo King Solomon calls the Torah Hashem's ultimate delight in which he reveals or he, he revels, rather, two days a year. And I was his delight day by day. So day by day indicates two days. So there's two days, basically what he's saying here, is there's two days mentioned that refer to Shavuot and Shemini Zeret that are festivals focused directly on the Torah. 
So we have the celebration of the Torah, the Simchat Torah, which we celebrate in Shimon Yatzeret at the conclusion of Shavuot. And yet, Shavuot, Sukkot I mean, Shavuot itself is also a Simchat Torah. So there's, that's why there's a connection. That's why Sukkot has its Shimon Yatzeret. And Shemini Atzeret, one could argue, is actually the conclusion of the holiday season that began at Rosh Hashanah. In fact, um, the sages point out that Hoshana Rabbah <coughs> is really the final time whereby one can receive forgiveness from Hashem. In other words, let me put it like this. This is how awesome God's grace is. Um, you have Rosh Hashanah where God sounds the shofar and calls us to make tshuva. Ten days later, you have Yom Kippur, and we make a plea at the end of Yom Kippur when the ark is closing at the Neila service to to beg people basically to and implore them to make tshuva before the gates close, because what we say, once the gates close, that's it, the day is over, we eat, and, and all that kind of stuff, right? And so the idea is, if you don't make tshuva by Yom Kippur, then, you know, you've missed it, right? That's that's the whole picture of the uh, the virgins. And yet, God's grace is so great that we go through Sukkot, and he says, you know what? I'm going to give you another opportunity. It's called Hoshana Rabbah. This is, this is like going beyond Ayla, it's beyond and beyond. My grace is beyond and beyond. I know I, I know I know the gate is closed already, but I just want to let you know I've I've cracked it open a little bit called Hoshana Rabbah. And then we have Shemini Atzeret. So Shemini Atzeret, therefore, this this is why I say it's connected to Rosh Hashanah, because you think, well, Rosh Hashanah, the high holidays are over. We have Sukkot as a separate thing, but no. We have Hoshana Rabbah, which is actually connected to the high holidays of Juva, so that Shemini Atzeret is actually connected to Rosh Hashanah, inasmuch as the Shemini Atzeret of Shavuot is connected to Pesach. End of our special edition of Shavuot today. There is a lot more to share. We have a lot more content. We're just simply out of time. But if you'll join us tomorrow, we will get right back into it and uh, study it all and see what Hashem wants to show us. Until then, have a great, wonderful, and amazing day. If you're in sunshine, enjoy it. If you're in the rain, enjoy it. We'll look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow. Shalom Aleichem and happy Memorial Day.